My guests this week are Elisavita Bennett and Andrew Bennett from Arc de Faux. Fashion design is not rocket science. So it's uh, I kind of coming from not fashion design, not from fashion. I, I don't know what the rules are and I'm just, you know, I, I'm not interested. I just have an idea and push it. Lisa and Andrew Bennett run Arc de Faux, a Glasgow-based clothing practice and educator, bringing their own ideas, fresh thinking and energy through creativity and play to provide solutions to the textiles waste problem. I speak to them as they prepare to launch their own line of upcycled denim clothing made to order in Glasgow, utilising local denim waste. They thrive from the challenges that come with daring to do things differently, and I can't wait to see what they do next. It was such a pleasure to speak to them, and there are so many ways that you can get involved with their work by taking a course, donating denim, and buying their products. Follow on Instagram at ArcDefoe. We start with a laugh because in take one, I'd got Lisa's name completely wrong. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Andrew and Lisa. <laughs> To One Planet Fashion Podcast, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, and how are you guys? How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing today? What are you up to today? Oh, I just finished making another uh, denim upcycled denim dress for our upcoming collection. Not the the, the mock up of the dress, so it's going well. And uh, the rest of the day, we'll be continuing working in the studio for other stuff we were launching end of may and there's a lot of work to be done before that but it's uh extremely tiring but very very exciting project and we've also got some more denim to collect we've been collecting in glasgow so we've got somebody coming around to drop some more denim off today uh and i'm working on a business plan uh update for basically everything that we're doing kind of distilled down into an A4 document again. Um, because every time we write it, it becomes out of date very, very quickly. So uh, when you start really seeing how much stuff we're, we're, we're doing, it's just like, ooh, <laughs> quite a lot. And I've only heard about you really recently. I think it was through LinkedIn um, and had a look on the website and I just wanted to get in touch because it's it's such a brilliant project. I read your manifesto and I just agreed with absolutely everything that you were saying and loved that that was really feeding through into your work and how you are shouting about these messages and how you that creativity is really engaging people and kind of calling people to action. So if you're able to tell us about, about your company and what you do. Uh, we are called Arc de Faux, and we are a fashion brand that also that works with upcycled denim at the moment. And we also teach people how to uh, mend and make their own clothes because we run an online school. It's for we call it sewing and fashion design. We don't just teach sewing or like how to use a sewing machine. We teach how to take your own measurements, draft your own simple patterns and make your own garments from scratch. 
workers. I think it's super important and this is the skills that are getting lost, unfortunately. So kind of we started from courses and then it slowly developed into uh, our fashion brand. Yeah, it's, it's our challenge is to kind of showcase all aspects of education and slow fashion and what it really means. Uh, obviously this circular economy idea uh, and it's, it's difficult because there's, there's so much kind of um, messages that are out there that I think are maybe wrong or uh, pointing people in the wrong direction. And the education is hugely important in terms of slowing down fast fashion, um, for example. Our, our courses, I think, are a great starting point for our journey. And uh, mo moving on to the upcycled collections of denim, which is insane what, 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 what Lisa, well, Lisa's making this stuff, she's creative director, and some of the things that she's just decided to make and, and, and design haven't been done before. And when you actually look at denim, it's so um, versatile, I, but it's very one-dimensional in terms of what a lot of people do with it. Some people do some interesting stuff though, uh, but some of what Lisa is doing hasn't been done, which is crazy really, when you're given how long it's been around for. So we're really excited about what's coming out in um, the end of May. Fantastic. And Lisa, do you come from a fashion design background? I don't. <laughs> I uh, have a couple of degrees and they're in journalism, uh, photography and graphic design. But I've been, so I've been self-taught. I've been sewing, making patchworks as I was a teenager because I wasn't allowed to do the <laughs> proper fabrics. <laughs> so I just like cut pieces and hand stitched they were horrible, but I was always interested in that kind of this uh, I don't know, born in the USSR, uh, right after it fell fell down, so there was nothing still in the shops and all that, kind of, not quite poor, but I couldn't afford, you know, go and buy my own fabrics or something. And I guess this idea of saving was for my family, like you need, don't waste things, save them, keep them, reuse them. And the thing that annoyed me as I was a kid, I was thinking, ah, oh, just, just, just chuck it. And now it comes back in a different way and um, it's uh, saving can be done in a cool way. And I also think that many people think that upcycling is something just dull and boring and kind of, you know, cutting your jeans into shorts and making a, I don't know, a bag from those shorts later and it's kind of has been done so many times and so it's getting dull and people just roll their eyes or upcycling. So <clears throat> I kind of started developing different ways how to approach sewing and designing how to do it simple yet effective and all things together so ever since i moved to scotland i kind of self-taught myself again how to so with all my experience all my life of sewing i, I of course it was gone for a while and then i just kind of re-retaught myself and ever since it kind of was okay that's it that's the, that's the one thing that makes me get up in the morning and I want to be doing this and not so much sewing, but the create, creative process. And uh, since I started, I just couldn't stop. And I thought, okay, so it's, I guess all the previous, all my degrees and experiences, they just give me tools to do now what, I, what I'm doing. For example, we're recording all the courses at home, all the editing. So we have a studio, all the editing is done also by us, all the, the videos, the voiceovers, 
everything and the photography of our brand. So everything comes together and journalism, of course, writing about our brand, talking about our brand. So you just never know where the life takes you, but uh, fashion design is not rocket science. So it's uh, I kind of coming from not fashion design, not from fashion. I, I don't know what the rules are and I'm just, you know, I, I'm not interested. I'm just have an idea and pushing it. <laughs> Yes, Lisa, I love that so much because I think sometimes people are too afraid to try making their own clothes or upcycling their own clothes because there's this set of rules that they're, that they're not privy to, that there's a, you know, a whole kind of um, script that you have to follow um, and yeah. they've not had access to that. They feel like because they've not done fashion at university or they've, they weren't taught or didn't enjoy it at school that, that they're not able to engage with it. But um, I love how you've just explained that, you know, you don't, there's, there's a whole load of different ways to do l- loads of different things. And it's about finding what works for you. And also a lot of the time I say to people, don't worry about what it looks on the inside or the back, you know, that's yeah. not the bit that people see. Don't worry about having to finish it off, you know, beautifully on the inside. If it fits you and you love it and it's neat enough. But the people who go to the fast fashion shops, they how often do they actually check the seams from the inside? <laughs> yeah. And you know, and when you do it yourself, so now now I'm getting into like really very much OCD with my stitches. It has to be perfect inside and out. But this is because you know we're building the fashion brand, and I really need to know that this is perfect. But uh, I'm super self-critical in that because I know I know the results I want to have. This is luxury brand. It has to yeah. be. It's phenomenal. But if you're making, I don't know, a top t-shirt, jumper, pair of pajama trousers, you know, you need your perfect stitching will come with experience only, but it will be still better than buying anything from fast fashion because uh, for me, it was the point of when my joints hurt or my back hurts from overworking, from doing too much, it's just me. I'm not hurting anybody. And I know that maybe these trousers are not perfect, but they're good enough for me. And they are, I know the fabric, I can pick the fabric. If I'm buying new, I can go for organic. If I'm upcycling, well, I'm upcycling, whatever it is. But I think this idea of, yeah, people think that if they do this, it has to be perfect and people in the factory do it better. They're the same people that, that just same machine, same process, just more people doing that. So, you know, take it, but it's in general, just, take life a bit easier <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think if, if people want to get started then your courses seem like such a great way for people to make that step and engage were you delivering them online before the pandemic or was that something you started doing because of the pandemic like how have you started your stitch school and how does that keep going it's uh before right away so it was 2019 i made my first course and uh it failed it didn't work but it's it's fine i learned and, like on the back of it but right away was the idea that it's online learning and because we both love online stuff and i don't know we don't go to the gym but we have a couple of uh, apps on the phone to exercise at home so it gives us freedom and for me, it was with online courses, you can reach people anywhere in the world. So it's not in English, it can be anywhere, it can be Australia, it can be New Zealand, it can be, you know, US, it can be here. 
And it was, so yeah, when pandemic hit, it actually, we were in a very good spot because it was, we had the platform, we had the courses, we're creating new ones, adding on. And uh, I, I don't see the need to have this physical location because people have sewing machines, maybe from their grandmothers or something, or I had my old mom's machine. And you just need computer internet connection, you sit down at your own, in your in the comfort of your home you know you can put on netflix on the background as well and just and just explore yeah fantastic and um can you talk to us a little bit about the range of different sewing courses that you offer uh we have courses for adults um which would teach basic stuff like t-shirts dresses jumpers uh, relaxed trousers Something else, hoodies, mm-hmm. yeah, favorite. And we have first of its kind in the UK course for kids. Uh, we'll say it's from seven, seven, seven to twelve. It just varies. I mean, it, it's uh, for parents to decide. It's <laughs> um, first of its kind because it's not uh, based for. It's not based on any theory or I don't know complicated sewing rules. It's based on uh my inner child so how i wanted to make things and i was always told you need a pattern you can't do things this way and and it was so annoying because i had this vision like you can do it this way it's not done this way and i never could get an answer why it's not done this way it's just the book says it's not (laughs) so i kind of created like i don't know 20 years later i made a course for my inner child the way i see how you can learn it to make a jumper when you start from a scrunchie and this way so it's developed for kids with kids in mind and that's what it makes so different and had great success stories of children starting the small businesses selling scrunchies at school (laughs) amazing (laughs) the mother one of the mothers got in touch saying that she's basically been selling them around her office Uh, (laughs) just like you know making all these scrunchies um, which is brilliant because um, a couple of complaints that uh, they had to get new sewing machines and now they're spending uh, <laughs> fortunes on fabrics. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've put a new disclaimer in. Um, but I think it's interesting what you're saying about the. I'm an outsider to, to, to fashion and, and, and everything. I think just reading about. The process, the industry, and and reading about the various different courses that are on offer, or people who do courses, competition, if you will, it's it's very much like a clothes shop, you know. Um, you you if it, it, it's not a very welcoming environment, I find for, from 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 being a complete novice. I mean, if I didn't have any knowledge of a sewing machine, where do you start, you know? And if all that's getting offered to you is sewing machine, then follow this pattern. Yes, it's complicated, but that's how you do it. I would be lost because I've seen the patterns in the various different magazines and they are just like complex maps of trying to find treasure, you know? Um, And I I don't think they are really overly uh, welcoming either. So nobody really wants to kind of break that ceiling of of offering something else. And then when you go to the the high street shops, it's the same. You know, the the clothes are just basically pre-made stuff that will fit somebody of that kind of size but who is that size and again as you said about the confidence and about people's uh, stitches on the inside and the outside uh, you're kind of told that 
your stitches aren't going to be very good. So that stops you right away. Oh, I'm going to be rubbish at this. And you see, you go to the shops and you look in the inside of the clothes and it's all dingle dangles of, of um, kind of bits Threads. of yeah, just... everywhere. But high-end fashion is not all it's cracked up to be. Now, if you look, I, even just this morning, I won't say the name of the, of the brand, but a very, very established London brand selling on various different platforms. And you have the photograph where you can zoom in and the stitch goes, whoops, because it's all off like that. And that's for £1,200 for a pair of trousers. People need to just maybe give themselves a wee break and just, just understand that everybody has, nobody's infallible to mistakes. And Absolutely. just chill out and just enjoy the process. Yeah. Fundamentally, I completely agree. Absolutely. Enjoy the process. And I think in in making clothes, in upcycling, it's, Lisa is my passion as well. And um, I think you can learn so much from the deconstruction of yeah. clothing as well as, you know, the construction. And, and I've never been able to pattern cut. I studied textiles and fashion at university and the process just didn't sit well with me. I've always been a draper. I love to work on the stand and I love to be in in 3D and I felt that I could not you know my early times at university I felt that that meant that I just couldn't be a fashion designer if I didn't know how to pattern cut and I feel that there's lots of these sorts of institutional ideas around what fashion and clothing is and has to be in the industry that need to be broken down and people we need to have a more democratic approach to it and to making and and I love the work that you're doing for that, trying to just appeal to people, yeah, to even citizens. Looking, looking how people who sell patterns, you know, I, I guess it's, it's a business and this and that, but we teach how to make that pattern based on your measurements. And we're not talking complicated evening uh, dress for the red carpet. No, like everyday wear, something that we, you know, and fashion nowadays is so relaxed. It's mostly oversized. It's so easy to make and nice to wear. And what we explain is the principles of why is this measurement there and how can you measure, how can you adjust? Because many times people come and say, oh, we would like a course to learn to make clothes for, for my, to make clothes for my kids. And I'm like, well, you can take our adult course because you'll learn how to take measurements. And from that, you can draft a simple pattern in 10 minutes or less. Yeah. It's really simple. But as Andrew said, the, uh, this, the ready-made patterns, especially back in the day, this Burda modern magazines, it's like honestly a treasure map and you spend half a day trying to trace this pattern, having no understanding why is this thing of this weird shape. Whereas when you do it or you deconstruct your clothes, which is also a great way to, to make something, number of shorts I just made from deconstructing old shorts, you know, and that's the perfect male shirt for him, fantastic. I would just trace other one, maybe adjust it a little bit. And once you get inside, you understand how it's made. And the more you do, the better you get at it. And it's all comes with experience. But yeah, it's just close. And it's it, it needs to be a kind of more relaxed attitude to that. It's just close. Sometimes some things can go wrong. Oh, well, next time you do it better. You make a mistake, you learn from it. Next. But um not not willing to try and heavily relying on all the fast fashion brands it's just that that's not the way to go 
Absolutely. I think especially when we need to be buying less and using what we have more, it kind of fits into those those ways in which we scale down the industry. You know, we don't want to be we don't want to be growing this fashion industry in terms of, you know, we've got overproduction, we've got overconsumption. Bringing those skills back into the population is an essential way to move this industry forward. I love that you also mentioned time. We said 10 minutes, you know, to draft a pattern because something that I'm really keen about sharing with people is how long it takes to do those, to sew on a button, to hem a dress or, you know, a pair of trousers that, you know, you can do it in half an hour watching the TV, you know, or darning a patch, bringing time into it, I think also helps to break down those barriers of of how people engage with it because you can, they can then incorporate it into their lives. Think, oh, I might have, you know, I've got half an hour one evening or a Saturday morning or something rather than being overwhelmed that it might take three hours, you know, of, of their time. How to put a button back, you know, and to me, this is, this is almost ridiculous. How, when, when did this, it's not, it's not, it's not a complicated skill. It's not something like, whoa, it's just a button. So it's how to thread the needle. It's just how to put it in. Yeah. And even like every single brand provides you with extra buttons. If you lose one on the, on the label inside. Yes. And it's kind of makes no sense nowadays because nobody knows how to put it back. And that, because we were taught at school, I guess two years, we had this kind of sewing classes. They were dull, it's super boring, but but at least there was something. And at least I know that 20 other girls, you know, they knew how to how to stitch a pair of tights or something if, if something went wrong. But nowadays it's a, it's a simple skill that is getting lost and it's, it's super sad it, and I think it should be brought back and also it's connecting with your clothes you know it's not just like oh it's a hole I'm chucking it it's a tiny hole something happened a cat sewing machine uh, whatever and just just fix it Lisa you mentioned it was super boring at school can you can you tell us why <laughs> because I sort of felt the same way we had to do the obligatory pencil case and cushion cover <laughs> We had uh, an apron, a night uh, night dress, <laughs> and a skirt, I think. And it was, and the, the only thing I remember that the teacher had this uh, uh, red, <laughs> red, pa- red painted nails, and this, and the, the how's it called? The nail polish was always halfway gone. And everything she explained, she always made this noise on the table and everything had to be so perfect. And I was just like, it's so boring. It's just some formulas to calculate something. You don't need these formulas. It, sound, it sounds like the exact reason why kids don't like most courses that are rigid and fixed. And instead of giving them some material and saying, away you go and just come up with something. Yeah. You know, creative skills. Um, it's be creative, but within that, that little window of, of space. And that's not creative, that's just... Um, yeah, the hem has yeah. to be this size, five or seven millimeters, not eight, not one centimeter. And we're like, why not? And it's yeah. like, it has to be, who said? Yeah. And it was all of this, uh, yeah, this ridiculous rules. And I always thought, like in my head, it's like, it can be done better, it can be done easier. And it was like, no, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to be creative. So in our courses, we go from the opposite. You are allowed to be creative and we don't teach this, you know, 
measure from here to here. We teach, you should measure this distance, the one you feel comfortable with. Then you can try a few ways of doing things and see what you like, what is easier. But right away skills you can use right now and be engaged and not being overwhelmed with I don't know any formulas, you know, it's like, it's, it's irrelevant. You just measure, sometimes you guess and it just works. So you, as you say, you like draping and it's different for everyone, but it has to be open-minded because otherwise it just becomes, uh, yeah, dull. dull. <laughs> yeah. An important lesson as well in the, something about the process, you know, the, the, that joy, those happy accidents that you can find through the creative development that, that are part of the story of that final piece, you know? That's so. absolutely, yeah. I had a bachelor's work about it, the, the mistakes in the creative process and how important they are. Yeah. Because it's, you, you need to allow for them to happen. And sometimes absolutely. it just happens and you go, huh, this can be my new way of doing things. You're listening to One Planet Fashion, the podcast profiling solutions to a global fashion and textiles problem. As you can hear, Lisa and Andrew are passionate about including more people with the act of clothes making and upcycling, showing that it can be a fun and playful experience for everyone. If you are someone who is working or hobbying with fashion and textiles and education and have ideas that fit with the One Planet Fashion model, I'd love to hear from you for a textiles in education special. So please do get in touch. Back to the podcast. Another part of your business is um, is in terms of your sourcing and how you source your denim. That's um, again kind of ripping up the rule book on how a company uh, gets their source material. Can you tell us a bit more about that? We steal it now. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we decided uh, that this kind of goes back to the middle of middle of last year, um, where. We had been discussing with uh, charities in Edinburgh about collecting denim from them, buying it off them, because the more we researched, the more you kind of discover the various different levels of where the, the journey of the clothes, I guess. And charity shops get far too much through their door uh, these days. And about 80% of it is waste, really. It can't be sold for whatever reason, torn, dirty, being left outside, not clean, whatever. So they then sell that to the textile collectors for roughly 50p a kilogram. A kilogram is say two pairs of standard jeans, for example. So that's that's kind of that's that journey's fine, but where it all goes after that is kind of kind of depressing, really. Generally it ends up in a wee boat and it goes off to somewhere overseas and it goes to a market. It's not good enough for their market, it goes to landfill. So we decided that. That, that kind of waistline, that, that journey needs to be broken somewhere. It's all well and good, say, scouting the charity shops for vintage or claiming you're using dead stock or, or, or whatever, and as if somehow pat yourself in the back, you're doing a good thing. But that material is still in, in use. So we decided to come at it, right, let's take all the stuff that is basically definitely going to be landfill. Um, so that's where we came at it. Now, it's proving... It's a tricky model to try and sell to people in terms of you know business types because you don't have a, a steady stream of material. You know, it's like where is it? So you have to spend a lot of time shouting out and saying, "Has anybody got denim?" You know, 
you want to kind of hand it in. So it's a bit, you know, it's a bit uh, like a roller coaster, what you're going to get. But we've decided that that's what we're going to do. And as we move on from denim, we'll do the same and we'll do the same because nobody is saving material from the waste stream. Uh, and then using that to showcase why you want to save material from the waste stream, how you can do it in a really snazzy kind of arty way, make you want to have it, but then ultimately that then offsets the purchase of some new item. So you're saving actually both ends. You're saving the waste and the water, the carbon at the, the landfill end, but you're saving the waste and the pollution in the water at the manufacturing end. So you're actually having a double win. So upcycling is actually genius. It's just, it's just getting the material. That's, the, that's the, uh, the bit that we're finding is fun though, because you get to just meet folk all over the place. Are you putting shout outs on your website and social media? Is that how you're kind of, and you said you mentioned going through the charity shops. Are they holding stock that they don't sell? Are they able to do anything like that on a bigger scale? Charities, charities are on a kind of shop by shop basis. One now they're kind of reopening. There's there's maybe that kind of chat, but as an institution, they are very. There's no flexibility in charities. They're very very rigid. Um, they've got a board. They have to have. I've discussed this with them at a very very high level. Um, you have to be on the supply chain. You have to have three years of, um, you know, sort of business running. You have to be of a size. You have to be able to do all these things to be on their supply chain. They have the, and also they've got existing contracts with all the waste textile collectors. Don't want to mess that up. So the journey for us and the challenge for us is to find all these places where people pay for the clothes, like a school. They, they get paid as well in terms of collecting a, a bin car parks, all these places where you'd not naturally find a clothes bin. If it's not a charity, it's a, a privately owned business. But the person who's got the bin there is making some money out of it. Now, is there any kind of incentive to change that when the waste is actually just going overseas? That's our challenge, is that's education, that's in terms of the bigger story. It's starting from the fact that people don't know that there is like no recycling system in this country and in most countries that the textiles are not I'm sorry that wasn't me <laughs> squeaky cheers squeaky cheers uh, the textiles are not getting recycled and this is many brands create this illusion that they do recycle they create this ads you see on youtube or they do massive projections on various buildings claiming that the percent they have a high percentage of whatever organic or recycled materials and all it's greenwashing the the usual the marketing is yeah i applaud their marketing teams because it's brilliantly done and they even i start questioning myself am i wrong is there the big nice recycling plant that recycles mixed fibers into brand new fibers it doesn't it's the technology is kind of there but it's still in the development stages and it's very expensive very complicated and but people who are not in the in the industry in the topic uh, just they just under illusion that this uh, textile collection bins in the in the park car, car parks and uh, charity shops and all that that they send it to some magical recycling plant and unfortunately, 
the whole zero waste, zero textile waste in the UK means, well, yeah, there is no textile waste in the UK because we ship it somewhere else. But this is not a solution. And this is just dumping our garbage on somebody else's landfill is just not good enough. So that's why as much as it's good that there are more companies and little brands coming with using organic materials for their fab for their for their collections and uh, the recent one everyone seems to be using dead stock but the problem still stays the same that we okay you use organic you don't use polyester but what happens to the existing polyester we use polyester because it, it's it, it's consists it's it's a part of the genes that we get most of them have at least at least one percent, usually more, sometimes 50. And no, I'm not saying no to any materials because creating new virgin organic is great. But what happens to the existing mixed plants, non-organic and poly, and it, it has to be dealt with. And you could use the, you know, all of the, uh, you know, 100% organics and the recycled polyesters, which have kind of, lower impacts on our environment but the rate at which they are being produced and consumed outweighs their environmental exactly yeah benefits so the issue is with the you know having to ultimately scale back and degrowth in the sector is the fundamental thing and a lot of the time the the fast fashion brands have their vast majority of collections and then they do a little bit of (laughs) eco collections whilst all of the other stuff is still being made and and produced and consumed and um it doesn't you know it's not it's not affecting their on on the scale that it needs to at all and the principles that they say the little sort of cherry on on top of the cake and then go and look at that lovely cherry yeah but you know fast fashion is not the only ones i mean the higher end brands are doing exactly the same. They've got like a limited, um, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but let's just call it a kind of conscious sustainable run or a recollection or whatever, there's all these kind of words. Um, but you go, well, if you can do it for that amount why, and, you, and you're shouting about it, why, why isn't your whole thing that if your brand is meant to be, uh, you're pushing yourself as a sustainable pioneer? I'm like, well, why, why is all this other stuff still bad absolutely um so no one's no one's mentioning that but um no there's there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, work needing needing done to i suppose educate people as as lisa said though the marketing budgets these guys have is unbelievable and if we had that you know as a as a upcycling community of spreading just little parcels of money spreading the word around well, I imagine how good a place it would be just by using what we have at the moment and not making more stuff. Like, for example, is electric cars. You know, we're going to go electric all these cars, but we're going to keep producing petrol cars up until the day before. And then we're going to have all these petrol cars and all these electric cars. There's never a scaling down. So if you know a problem exists, like, say, the UN sustainability goals were, were republished in 2015, and this is 2021. Why are we still having to drag these businesses over the hot coals to pay the workers, don't pollute, have equality, and clean up their own mess? Why are we still having this conversation? There's a lot of capacity within the grassroots sector because 
the brands aren't going to aren't gonna start uh, producing less off their own bat they're not gonna say to their shareholders oh by the way let's just um reduce our profits by about 10 million this year why don't we do that and the government isn't moving quickly enough on the legislation that's needed to hold these companies to account and whilst all of those conversations whether we need a regulator or whether we need licensing or whether we need to further support other factories and countries overseas, while all of that dialogue is still happening, people are still buying clothing at an accelerated rate because it's being produced at an accelerated rate. And I also think that the companies get out, their jet get out of jail free card is, well, people keep buying it. So we're going to keep making it. Yeah. And one of the things that I talk about a lot in my work is, is just to people and to citizens is that, they are, we are all as people, a fundamental part of the fashion and textile supply chain. Every decision that a fashion brand makes is to sell product to you. And do not undervalue yourself in this supply chain. You have enormous power to affect change by deciding what to buy or what not to buy, or to mend or to extend life of garments and actively celebrate the clothing that you own and be proud of the clothing that you buy or donate your unwanted denim to you guys, like be part of that circularity and find those people who are making the differences and and then the brands and the companies will listen. But because right now it's the, the word that I can't hear anymore, the sustainability, it's just, it's, uh, it's too much. It's been so used and abused, especially last year, the brands who don't pay their workers and then they put on 10 pound jeans and say sustainable, you know, it's organic, organic, sustainable, ethical, vegan, uh, reducing CO2, recycled, blah, 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 blah. It's all this like keywords, which used to be good words, but now it just completely lost their meaning and people don't listen anymore. Yeah. So they'll, they'll come up with some new words. Uh, which will we'll go, what does that mean? Somewhere in the marketing HQ, they're all gathered around the big table discussing what's the words they can use next that basically will part, will you know, crowbar money out of our hands. Um, the only way to really stop, and you're right, the only way to stop that as a consumer, you've got supply and demand or demand supply. And if they actually stop making as much, we would buy less for start because just would be less options in the shop and we would just adjust accordingly. If we bought less, they would have to make less. So it kind of is a bit of a two-way street and we do have power. We just kind of let them run our lives a little bit too much. And if we had more small businesses, you know, like yourselves and ourselves, but people who are less impact, you know, little community people who are, it means more to us about any sale than, than it does to the bigger businesses because they've, they've gone past that kind of that point of no return. So the customer means more to us, the product means more to us, the quality means more to us, and the journey of that material and where it's going to go will always mean more to us than it will to them. To me, the, the most important part and the saddest part of the fast fashion is the workers because nobody should be treated this way. This is, this is ridiculous, this is horrible. So for us, I always was saying that if ever I launch a fashion brand, I said it, I never expected it would actually happen. <laughs> <laughs>
but it would be crucial to for this brand to be produced where I live because I can have access to whoever is making it, the manufacturers, this. so everything is 100% transparency. And we're doing this now. So we found a manufacturer in Glasgow. We met the people, have a great connection. They share our values. They are, uh, it's not just, oh, they're ethical. No, they just treat people nice. It's, it doesn't need any labels. <laughs> they pay above the minimum wage, you know, which is super important, which means that, yes, we will be, uh, our profits will be lower because we'll have to pay more to the workers. But I don't see how it can be any other way. Because if I'm not making it, somebody else is making it for me and I'm selling it at my price, or clearly should be paid more than three pounds a day. So, and this is, uh, it's not all about money. Of course, we're in business and of course we're here. We need to, you know, to feed ourselves, to pay the bills and the rest. But also if people work for us, they need to be paid fairly. and. There are so many ways how you can adjust all the business costs and simply by uh, just continuing producing in the poorer countries because it's cheaper using your money and selling it for your prices here. It's just ridiculous and it's not for us. So of course, if we just send stuff somewhere else, well, it could be millionaires, you know, in a day, yeah. but it's, it's not the point. That's not for us. And the, the living wage in Glasgow at the moment is £9.50 an hour. We're paying £15 an hour. So we, we, we're actually we're, we're actually going to get paid less than workers. And you know what? Given that our actual input into it is kind of the way it should be, you know, the product is the, is the thing that ultimately comes. And as long as we've got enough to live, they've got enough to live, and everyone's doing it, you know, that's what matters. Kind of like the way it should be and there is growth and there is everything possible and with it within this because also uh the greed that is taking over all this you know ceos of the of the big fashion brands and this is not all about that like it's step down slow down remember what it all is about and clothes is something we all share we we all wear something in the morning so we can as well make it in a nice way create connections with the garments that we wear and also yes of course it comes at a higher price because people get paid so you buy this item and you know that people were paid for this but also the quality is better it will last longer and also when you spend more than 20 pounds for an Indian dress you know you will know you will take care of it and you will be careful you will repair you will wash carefully and won't just, you know, chuck it because ah, I was just a 20 pound thing. More and more people um, talk about communities and it's a local bakery rather than a supermarket. I think that's a positive change. And maybe in the lockdown, more people actually realize the importance of stepping back and, you know, supporting the community rather than big corporations, faceless. And we all have a vote for that every time we buy something yeah. you know and it really is use it or lose it and I hope I agree I hope that people have realized that in this last year companies like yourselves are at the heart of how we create those systems by bringing people in to give them opportunities to donate the clothing that might be worn through to be made into new things like you say work at both ends of the the kind of waste problem 
um, and support manufacturing in the UK, engage with a company who really cares and really wants to create change and give people good jobs and get people excited, make something different, take people on that creative journey, offer opportunities to learn through the workshops and just be part of every stage of that process and underpinned by just absolute transparency. Where can people go to find out more about your brand? It's arcdefo.com. It's A-R-K-D-E-F-O.com. And uh, we are we will be rebuilding the website. It's work in process right now because we used to have it more as an informational place. Now we turn it into the shop because we want to sell our made-to-order collections that yes hopefully be launching end of may if everything goes smoothly uh i think as usual like one week before sleepless deadlines all that uh but yeah it's uh we would love to get more denim donations uh at the moment i guess so if anybody if any listeners are in the glasgow area and can they contact you on social media emails yeah, we have a special email for that. It's donate denim, one word, at arcdefo.com. So that's the best way to get in touch. And uh, yeah, and then from the end of May, hopefully, <laughs> we will be um, we'll be taking orders for our made-to-order garments. And it will take some time to make them because everything will be only made-to-order. We don't want to produce a bunch of stuff that will be just, you know, no. lying around i have one more question in the the name arc defoe i really love that word is it can you tell me a bit more about that word well it started it was it was kind of our original business was architecture design and photography it's back in the day when we thought that we could do three things at once yeah <laughs> so so um that was we were going to do that, and that seemed like ideal. So we sort of did that kind of breakdown, and it just sat sat nicely. Art it before. kind of sounds a bit of like Arc Deco, the yeah, the, yeah, the, the but it's slightly softer. Arc Deco. So I wonder if it was yeah. It's a really I just really like the word. It's nice, Andrew and Lisa. Thank, thank you so, so much, much for your time. No, thanks, Julia. That's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to One Planet Fashion. Please click subscribe and join the conversation over on Instagram and Twitter at One Planet Fashion.